As we begin our study of the fifth book of the New Testament, Dave Wordson challenges us to think clearly about whether we really believe Jesus rose again from the dead. Listen as a first century medical doctor begins his history of the church with a very strong claim. There are convincing proofs that Jesus of Nazareth rose again from the dead. Can you imagine you go to your physician, you've got a cough, uh, kind of like what Mary's always bugging me about. How many of you are going to go <laughs> like that quite a bit? You start doing that, you go to your doctor, and he says, I need to run some CT scans, I need to do some x-rays. You've all gone through those experiences. You're just fear and trepidation for several days when that happens. Then your physician calls you in and says that you need to go see an oncologist. And you can imagine the fear that you have. So you walk into your oncologist's office, you're in downtown Baylor, and yet as you go into your oncologist's office, he has beautiful leather seats, and you sit down, and he seems up and chipper and happy as he talks to you, and he says, I'm sure you understand by now that the x-rays and the CAT scan show that there's some lesions in your lungs. And we're going to need to do some biopsy, but there's really a good chance that you have malignancy in your lungs. I'm sorry, you know, you came to know Jesus afterwards, and yet you smoked for a whole lot of years, and those lungs are pretty sick. But I got good news for you. We have a new chem therapy, and in about eight months, you're going to be just fine. So, man, you're up, you take the chem therapy, and eight months later, your cough has gotten worse. You can barely breathe, and as you go into your oncologist's office again, he says... As you know that your body's becoming weaker and weaker, I'm really sorry. Uh, I just didn't want you to feel so badly eight months ago. I wanted you to have faith. I wanted you to have hope. And I didn't want you to feel bad. And so I just made up the story about the effectiveness of the chem therapy. Can you imagine the anger that you would have towards a physician like that? Some of you already, I can see your eyes saying, man, we're going to get a lawsuit. Let's hire a lawyer. That's the worst medical practice imaginable. And what amazes me, though, is that when it comes to your physical health, none of you want to hear just a good story. But we live in a culture, when it comes to your ultimate eternal health and your spiritual health, millions of people are willing to believe a good story. Just have faith. You're told over and over and over again, just have faith. As we open up to Acts chapter 1 today, I want you to turn to Acts chapter 1, because Acts chapter 1 is going to be wrestling with a question, do we just have myths and fairy tales? Do we, do we just have hope floats? Do we just have an idea of a great story that makes us feel really up? And as we turn to the book of Acts, it's going to wrestle with this question, are we following convincing proofs or are we just following fables? This is the only history I want you to know as you have the book of Acts in your lap. This is the only first century history that we have that goes from the ascension of Jesus after Jesus died on the cross and rose again and ascended to heaven this literature that we're going to be looking at over the next several months is going to be, the, be open up to us how did the continued work of Jesus after he ascended to heaven, how did it grab a hold? 
Just stop and think of it. When Jesus was crucified, he was crucified as a Jewish criminal. He was exercised. If you ask the Jewish authorities, they would have said, the reason we crucified Jesus is that he was a false king. He was setting himself in opposition to Caesar. And so they crucified him as a traitor. They let Barabbas go, who had been an insurrectionist and a murderer, and they crucified Jesus instead. And if you would have read the newspapers from the first century, they would have all said, insurrectionist, rebellious Jewish king died. They even put it on the cross. So throughout the Roman Empire, when Jesus was crucified, this was just some small happening. Thousands upon thousands of Jews had been killed. Also, as Christianity begins to get a hold, as it begins to grab a hold, the viewpoint throughout the Roman world at the time is this is just a small Jewish sect. I want you to know that in the first century there was all different kinds of Judaism. And so the, this, the, the followers of the way, the ones that believed in this Galilean rabbi, they were just viewed as this very small group. Now here's the question. How did this criminal supposedly that was killed on Calvary that was from this small Jewish sect, how in the world in 2011... How has it become the most powerful revolutionary spiritual force on earth? If you're an unbeliever here today, and as you share with friends this week, challenge them to think about the reality, Christianity is two billion strong. It's the biggest spiritual force on planet earth. And you've got to wrestle with how in the world did that happen? How in the world did that take place? And the reason we're going to study the book of Acts is the book of Acts is going to explain to us how did we move from a crucified Savior to a movement that just transformed first the Roman Empire. It kept spreading out into all the world. And in your generation, since 1900, it's now become the most powerful spiritual movement. It's, it's grabbing a hold like crazy in Latin America. In China, there are supposedly 100 million Christians, and it's exploding. The big thing in, in the family of God today around the world is the shift to the developing world. And the book of Acts is going to challenge us to think about how in the world did that happen? And that's why it's so precious. And I want you to know what we want to get out of the very beginning in the first four verses, is, or the first five verses, is Dr. Luke says, I didn't just give you stories, I gave you convincing proof. So look at it. He begins his letter. He's a, he's a very educated uh, Greek Hellenistic writer. It's very good Greek, and he begins like this. In my former book, if a writer starts out and says, in my former book, what do you know about the writer? This is volume number... Good, that's great, you're with me. This is volume number two. What's volume number one? The book of Luke. So that's the very first thing in your study as you begin to get into these first century sources. You need to think of what we're studying as volume two of a two-volume work. And the first volume is the book of Luke. So one of the things I want to challenge you to do is you want to read Luke and you want to read the book of Acts because they go together. And so it's saying this is the second work. The book of Luke will begin with the birth of Jesus, the birth of John the Baptist, and then it will end with the resurrection appearances of Jesus and his ascension to heaven in just a brief summary fashion. Luke is going to pick right up where the gospel of Luke left off and go on with the story. So that's the very first thing I want you to realize. This is volume number two. 
The second thing we need to wrestle with is who's it written to. And it says, in my former book, O Theophilus. Theophilus is a common Greek name. It was used a lot in the first century. So we don't know anything specifically about Theophilus. His name, Theos, is God. Phileo means the friend. So you put it all together. His name means the friend of God. And a person that has a name like that, you would say, well, he probably is a friend of God. And, and we putting together Luke and Acts, we would surmise that Theophilus is a Gentile. He's trained in Greek. He reads really good Greek. So he represents some of you. Most of you aren't Jewish. Most of you that are here in the book of Acts, you're like Theophilus. You're a Gentile. You are part of a culture that for the most part is secular. And Dr. Luke is sharing with us, he's writing a very specific letter to Theophilus to help him to understand. He started out in the book of Luke saying, I want you to know for a certainty what you've learned about this Jesus Christ. And, he, and Luke begins like Matthew does, but Luke is focusing on you as a Gentile, beginning with Jesus' birth, and in the Gospel of Luke, he ends with his ascension into heaven. Now he's writing to the same reader, and he's going to continue the story. But this is part of the whole canon of Scripture. This is part of our New Testament. And so we've just come out of the four Gospels, and we've had the good news declared to us in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. So you'll understand when you're reading your Bible how it puts together. That is the declaration of the gospel. Christ was born of the Virgin Mary. He did the miracles. He offered himself as a Messiah. He died on the cross for people's sins. He rose again from the dead. And then he ascended into heaven. After the book of Acts, you're going to have a bunch of epistles, letters that are written to you as a church family to know how to live in this new group, this new assembly called the body of Christ, called the church of all those that have put their personal faith in Jesus. What gives you the transition? What tells you how that church got started? Have you ever asked yourself that question? Like how in the world did we arrive where we are here in 2011? What we're going to be studying in the next several months is going to answer that question. It tells us how did this small band of 12 apostles, one of them betrays, so there's only 11, how do they become this movement where people say that the world was turned upside down? And the reason we want to really get into that is I believe the Lord wants to turn my world upside down. He wants to turn your world upside down. He wants to use us just like he wanted to use Theophilus because you are not, this isn't just written to Theophilus, it's written to every one of you and together as a church family. So we want to be asking the Spirit to teach us. You're part of the readers because this became part of the sacred scriptures. The next thing I want you to do is an amazing reality. You would think when Jesus ascended to heaven, and some of you might think it, Jesus ascended to heaven, he's distant, he's far away, and what do we do now? What do we do now? Look what Dr. Luke says, and this is an incredible thing. Right in the introduction, he says this. He says, in my former book, O Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus did and taught. Is that what it says? I left out a very important word. What is it? I want you to get a hold of it. The book of Acts tells us something incredible. In the book of Luke, I told you what Jesus began to do, to action his actions, and to teach. That would imply that what's going to happen? 
Jesus is going to continue to teach. Jesus is actively teaching this morning. Jesus wants to actively, already this morning, like as Sam was baptized, it was Jesus through his spirit that brought Sam to be able to make that declaration of his faith. Isn't that incredible? It's the work of the spirit that caused Robert in kingdom authority to respond and to be born again and then to make choices. Instead of walking out of kingdom authority, which he almost did probably several times, it held him in there because Jesus is continuing to act. He's continuing to teach. And that's what Dr. Luke wants to get a hold of. The book of Acts isn't just talking about past events. It's talking about events that continue to take place through the powerful work of the Holy Spirit that the Lord's going to send. And so that in the book of Acts, we're going to have the continuation of Jesus' actions and the continuation of his teaching. And that's an incredible, incredible thing that we want to get a hold of, that we don't just worship a past Christ that did a lot of things in the past, but we worship a Christ that's alive and is going to continue to do mighty things and teach us mighty things until the day he was taken up in heaven. Dr. Luke, in the book of Luke, told us what Jesus began to do in the teach. In the book of Acts, he's going to tell us what Jesus continues to do and to teach. And in the conclusion, he's not going to end it. He's going to leave it open because the work of the Holy Spirit continues throughout the ages. He says, after the giving instruction through the Holy Spirit to the apostles, he had chosen. Verse 2. I want to call your attention to that line, after giving instruction through the Holy Spirit to the apostles that he had chosen. This is very, very important. In the book of Acts, one of our messages is going to be on the 12th man. Because we've got to complete the 12 apostles, and they are eyewitnesses to Jesus' baptism by John the Baptist. They saw Jesus have the Holy Spirit come upon them. They saw the miracles. They are part of the 12 that was sent out. They're part of the 70 that was sent out. They did miracles in Jesus' name. They saw Jesus tried before Pilate. They saw him crucified, and then they saw him rise again from the dead. And they are the foundational witnesses. If you say to me, Dave, how do I know I'm not just following a good story? Then what you need to ask yourself is, do I believe that 11 apostles, after Judas betrays the Lord, there's 11 apostles left? And in the book of Acts, you're going to be introduced to the dominant leader through the whole first part of the book. His name is Peter. So the question I ask myself is I meet people every day that I decide whether or not they're credible witnesses, whether or not I believe they're telling me the truth. I want you to do the same thing with Peter. You can do the same thing with Dr. Luke. That's what Luke is inviting you to do. And he's focusing you back on the original 12 apostles. And we're going to complete the empty blank at the end of chapter 1 in the book of Acts. I want you to understand how important that is. Because Dr. Luke is saying that Jesus, he just told you, Jesus chose them. In the gospel, it says that Jesus prayed all night and he chose those 12 men. He knew that Judas would betray him. But the other 11 are foundational sent one, commissioned one, given a command to lay the foundation of the church. And the book of Acts, and your foundation is absolutely important when you build a structure. So what Dr. Luke is challenging us to do is let our church and to let our lives be built on the witness 
of these apostles. The word apostle was originally used of like giving a command to a ship's officer, and it had to be carried out. Then it can be used like the word envoy. And the apostle has the same authority as the one who commissioned him. That's what the word means. And the apostle Luke is using this phrase as an associate of Paul to say that the original 12 apostles with Judas betraying, adding Mattathias at the end, they become the envoys that are going to carry on the command to make disciples of every nation. And they're going to effectively do that, and then we need to decide whether we'll listen to them. And that's very important, because I'm amazed that people will listen to just about anybody these days. Uh, if you mention the word, like, religion's really out, but spiritual things are really in. You mention, I'm on a spiritual quest. Everybody and his brother will say, that's a great idea. But I'm amazed at who their authorities will be. And what I want you to see is, contrary to a lot of other religions, Christianity invites you in the book of Acts to think about the witnesses. Think about the ones that God chose, the ones that he made, these foundational apostles. That's the idea. And the apostle Luke is telling us that he chose them by the power of the Holy Spirit. Then in verse 3, it gives us kind of a review of the book of Luke. After his suffering, that after Jesus died on the cross, the word suffering involves him paying the price for our sins, Jesus dying on the cross, all the agony that he went through after he suffered, this is the incredible thing. He showed himself to these men, to those apostles, and he gave them many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard from me. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. In the close of uh, the introduction to the book of Acts, you're caught up in this continued story. And Dr. Luke just said something really important. He told us why what the substance, what I would say, what the substance of the convincing proofs are that Jesus gave. He says after Jesus died on the cross, he did what no other human being has ever done. That's what he said. What I just read to you is an incredible claim, and I don't want you to take for granted. Like last night with Bruce Prindle and Kelly, his wife from First Baptist, Kelly, uh, Bruce's wife is a school teacher, and she helped Jim Polachek's wife, Kelly, who teaches at Petoskey. As a sister in Christ, she didn't even realize it, but when Kelly Palachek first started teaching, she brought encouragement into her life. And Jim took off on Wednesday about 10.30 in Columbia. I got to fly into Columbia one time. It's a marvelous airplane. When I take off from Midway and I'm taking off to the north, I look over my right shoulder to make sure someone's not coming up from the south from Eagle's Nest. Jim, with a North Carolina business friend, was just taken off on a routine business flight. Kelly, his wife, didn't even know where they were going. And they took off. When you're the easiest thing in the world flying is taken off. But you learn from the time you start, you're the most vulnerable when you're about 50 feet in the air. Because if anything happens, you're falling off a 50-story building and you don't have time to recover. And we don't know what happened, but the Columbia froze up 
And they went down in the trees, and just like that, two men are eternity. Kelly, his precious widow, a young widow, her life is devastated. They had all that they could dream, doing well, flying around. As a pilot, what you long to do is be able to have your own airplane, fly around, use it like you use a car. Jim was living that dream, and just like that, this life is over. Is that all there is? Is that all there is? What the book, and, and what do you say to someone like that? I know for sure that it's not God's heart for there to be airplane crashes. I know that when we get to heaven, I don't know whether we'll need airplanes or not. You'll be able to fly anywhere you want, and you'll be fine. No crashes, no tears, no pain, no suffering, no death. That's what I told her last night. From Revelation, that there's going to be a new heaven and a new earth. And there's going to be no more crying, no more pain, no more suffering, no more death. Now, how do I know that's true? Because Dr. Luke just told me, when Jesus, who's the only religious leader that's ever lived, that's ever lived on planet Earth, that said, I'm going to die. And after I die, I'm going to be in the grave for three days. And my body's not to decay because I'm going to rise again from the dead. And nobody else makes claims. What Dr. Luke just said, for 40 days after Jesus rose again from the dead, there were eyewitnesses. Paul puts them together in 1 Corinthians 15. It says, Jesus appeared to Peter. Jesus appeared to Mary Magdalene. And then he closes by even saying, last of all, Jesus appeared to me, but Jesus also appeared to 500 Jews that saw Jesus alive. What do you believe about that? I want you to know that that's what this history, this only history of the Christian church, is challenging to decide. And the final thing is so precious. Dr. Luke looked forward. He, Jesus, this resurrected Christ, in these 40 days appearances, he gathered his disciples together and says, don't you dare leave Jerusalem because I've got a special gift for you. The Holy Spirit from heaven that John the Baptist said the Messiah would not baptize you with water, but he'd baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. Jesus is saying, you wait in Jerusalem. And we need to go on and through this book because it's going to tell us whether or not God came through in his promise.